What's poppin', YXO? Apparently uh, not too much, because nobody got me to do any push-ups today. Nice try, Dean. Hey! <laughs> I was watching, I, you know, I know, I know you guys are up to your tricks. Gonna take more than that to get me, buddy. Dean tried, he gets to be for effort. All right, we're glad, glad to be with you guys again tonight to talk about endurance. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, if you guys are creative and clever, you'll get to see me do some push-ups or dance tomorrow night, okay? Just take that as a challenge. If you got a Bible, open it up. We're going to continue to start with Psalm 40, but we're going to branch out. So what I want you to do is I actually want, want you to open your Bible to Psalm 32. And I'm going to reference a couple Psalms. I'm going to reference Psalm 32 and Psalm 37. They're right there by each other. So if you keep them handy, you should be in good shape once we get there. Yes, I procrastinated and I did not give Dave the scripture references to put on the PowerPoint. So there you go. High scores with the almonds procrastinate. All right. So tonight we're going to continue to tackle this question of how do we develop endurance in the Christian life? How do we develop the ability to persevere in our faith despite sin and suffering in our lives? Those are the questions that we're trying to answer this week. Right. How do we develop endurance? So I'm going to start out by reading Isaiah 40, 27 through 31, the same passage we read last night, and then we'll watch out from there. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak of Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. It is good. You say that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we pray that you would feed us from your word. We are tired. We are weary from sin and suffering in this world. We need you to strengthen us by your word and your spirit now. Help us to take up our cross daily to follow Jesus. Help us to develop Holy Spirit-empowered endurance to run the race that you have laid out for us so we might receive the crown of life that you have for us in the end, the crown that Jesus won and that he graciously gives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last night we saw that endurance is a gift of the everlasting God that we receive through the person and work of Jesus. Endurance is a gift of the everlasting God. Now how do we receive it? I said last night, it tells us in verse 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I love that song that we just sang. Paul, that was great. Thank you. As we wait on the Lord, He gives us the power to persevere through sin and suffering. But if you're like me, what does that phrase mean, wait on the Lord? That's such a Christianese thing to say. Like, I, I don't know what that means. It sounds so vague and abstract. So we're going to try to look at it in very practical terms over the next three nights. Okay? 
Tonight, what I want you to see is that we wait on the Lord through obedience. Okay? We renew our strength in the Lord through obedience to His Word. We renew our strength in the Lord through obedience to His Word. Now, this is YXL, we're Reformed Presbyterians, we believe in the gospel of grace. Is it a little odd that I would say that the Christian life, the Christian endurance, requires Christian obedience? Does that kind of throw you off a little bit? Okay, now why do I say that? Now, obedience is necessary for every endurance activity. Okay? If you want to do anything in life that requires long-term, sustained effort, you have to submit yourself to some rule or some law, some way of living. Think about athletics. Think about Olympians, like Michael Phelps. We talked about it earlier, right? Michael Phelps had a goal to be an Olympic gold medalist. And everything in his life had to submit to that. What he ate, when he slept, when he exercised, who he spent time with, literally everything in his life had to submit to that one goal. He had to be obedient to that goal to develop the endurance to be an Olympic athlete. Whenever I was in college, I decided that, uh, you know, you stop playing baseball, you stop sprinting, you get really out of shape. I thought, well, I gotta, I gotta get in shape, so I gotta start running. People kept talking about this thing called the 5K. So go, oh, I can run a 5K, that doesn't sound like that, that hard. So I, I downloaded a, a training program, I bought all the gear, I talked to one of my buddies who was a long distance runner, and I got out and I started working this program. I submitted myself, I obeyed this program, I obeyed my coach, I began training so that I could develop the endurance to run a 5K. And then if I missed the training day, I would actually feel bad about that. Like it kind of got to my conscience. It's funny, for the first you know, 21 years of my life, I never cared about missing a running day. But as soon as I submitted myself to this goal of wanting to develop endurance, then I felt guilty if I missed a training day. But there are other things in life where endurance requires obedience. Jerry Seinfeld committed himself to writing one new joke a day for a period in his life. And that material ended up uh, becoming one of the greatest television sitcoms of all time. Uh, John Steinbeck committed himself to writing every morning for two or three hours, and he published some of the greatest literary works in the history of the world, like Grapes of Wrath and East of, e East of Eden and Of Mice and Men. Any, uh, any endeavor that requires, that long-term endurance requires obedience, and the Christian life is no different. It's no different. Right. Last night, we talked about how waiting on the Lord, when we wait on the Lord, we're waiting on the King. He's the Creator, God, the King of this whole universe. To wait on Him means to live under authority to Him. We not only recognize Him as King, but we submit to His plan, His way, His timing, and His outcome. To say that this everlasting God is your God and your king means to submit to him. It means to submit to his will. And if you look at Psalm 37, we're looking at Psalm 37, 5 to 7. So look at that real quick. It describes waiting on the Lord in terms of obedience. Look at 37, 5. It says, commit your way to the Lord. 
trust in him, and he will act. And the pages turn around. Leave another second to get there. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the new day. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. What is David saying? David's saying that trust in the Lord means committing your ways to him, means committing your life to him. Waiting patiently for the Lord means that you obey him, even when it looks like disobedience will actually bring prosperity. Obedience trusts God to make things right in the end. So we're going to, like I said, I want you to see tonight that the Lord strengthens us through obedience to his word. And I got to tell you, for Christian leaders, this is a challenge. This may not seem like a challenge for a group of Christian leaders like you guys. But here's what I see as a campus minister. I see students that come in that are Christian leaders that grew up in their youth group. They were the leaders in their youth group. And if you gave them a pencil and paper test and said, do you submit to the will of the Lord? Do you submit your entire life to him? Is, is the God of the Bible your king? They would say yes. They would have the right answer on paper. But they come to college and all of a sudden they're faced with sin and temptation and suffering. And that paper answer goes right out the window. That answer is not written on their heart. And it's not practiced in their ways. They, they know the right answer, but they don't believe it. They don't believe that it's good. And so tonight, what I want to spend our time doing is giving you three reasons. What, three ways that obedience strengthens you. So that when you get to college or you wake, when you get older and sin and suffering stares you right in the face, you see that there is a good reason why you ought to obey God's word. There's good reasons there. So the first thing I want you to see is obedience to God's word renews our strength because it guides us in times of suffering. Obedience to God's word renews our strength because it guides us in times of suffering. In Isaiah 40, 27, Israel, you know, Isaiah says, Israel's going to ask all these questions. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? God's plan is mysterious and confusing to Israel. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening. They don't know why they're in Babylon. They're saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you suffering? Won't you rescue us? What is happening? They're confused in a time of suffering. And the same thing is going to happen to you. At some point in your life, you are going to suffer. This world is filled with suffering because it's broken and it's fallen because of sin. Right? You might experience the pain of a friend's betrayal. You might experience being rejected by somebody you love. You might lose a loved one. In fact, you will lose a loved one at some point. You might suffer from losing a job, getting cut from a team, or failing a class. You might grow weary from chronic sickness, from an accidental injury, or from a worldwide pandemic. 
You'll be a generation that grew up in the pandemic. There'll be PhDs written about you guys someday because of that. You were going to go through suffering. When we go through suffering, it's confusing and disorienting. You've probably been confused and disoriented a lot this year. And when we suffer, we're going to want to know, where is this all-powerful, all-knowing God that we talked about last night? What is he doing? Is he asleep at the wheel? And I wish I could tell you that he is going to give you an answer for every single suffering that you're going to go through, but he probably won't. If he was going to give us, if he could or would give us an answer to all our sufferings, we probably couldn't comprehend it. It would be beyond our comprehension. Uh, our, our suffering is bound up in his mysterious will. We know how it's going to end. We know all of his promises, but we don't know why we go through the particular suffering that we go to, that we go through. So God doesn't reveal this mysterious will for us, but he does have a revealed will for us. He does have uh, a plan for us to follow. And he gives us that in places like the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Paul's imperative in the epistles. There he reveals for us God's will. God reveals his will. He reveals how he wants us to live. He reveals how he wants us to, uh, how he wants to strengthen us during times of suffering. He gives us a clear path in a foggy journey. And what I want you guys to know is now is the time to train for suffering. You can't wait until you're suffering to train for it. Now is the time to train for suffering. My wife was telling me about a couple of her friends who learned this the hard way. Uh, one of her friends, Emily. Emily's uh, had a two-year-old son she had a husband that was in Afghanistan fighting in the war. She was pregnant. She went to the doctor. And the doctor said, your baby has serious disabilities. Like serious disabilities. We think you should consider getting rid of it. She's got no family. She's got nothing to support her. And here she's faced with one of the, the most gut-wrenching decisions of her life. But here's the thing. She had been training for this moment her entire life. And when that doctor said you should consider getting rid of it, she said, no. I know what the Word of God says. I know what God wants me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to carry this baby in the term. And I'm going to have this baby. This is my child. She relied on her training during that time of suffering. And she had the baby. The baby is alive and doing well. It's, it's kind of crazy. Really where it is. His organs are flipped. They're on the opposite side of his body. So like where your heart is here, his heart is literally on the other side. So he has lots of health complications, but he is a happy, go-lucky kid you would never know him. But she relied on her training during that time of suffering. My wife had another friend, however, who, who, who went through a similar situation, but she would fully admit that she wasn't ready. At 20 weeks, she went and got an ultrasound with her baby, and, and the doctor said, there's something wrong with your baby. It only has half a brain. If it survives birth, it will not last long. And at that moment, she realized, my relationship with God is not strong enough to go through this. I am not ready. She called her brother, who was a pastor, and said, look, this is what the doctor told me. I'm not ready for this. Will you pastor me through this? He had to walk her through it. And part of her testimony was saying that she was not trained for suffering in that moment. Guys, you have to train for suffering now. 
Now is the time to learn God's word. Now is the time to learn God's promises. Now is the time to press into God's goodness. Because when you suffer, you will need that training. Right? We, we got athletes in here. We got competitors in here. You wouldn't, you wouldn't start training the day of the competition, would you? No. You train before the competition. So when the competition comes, you're ready. Train before the suffering. So when suffering comes, you're ready. God's word strengthens us because it guides us in times of suffering. That's the first thing we should see. The second thing that we see is that obedience to God's word strengthens us because it guides us in times of temptation. Obedience to God's word strengthens us because it guides us in times of temptation. Jesus provides us with the greatest example of this. After Jesus was baptized, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you're hungry, surely God will to feed you. And Jesus said, uh, God's, It's written in God's word, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Satan tried to tempt him again. He took him up to a high pinnacle. He took him up to the top of the temple. And he said, throw yourself down, because it says in the scriptures that he'll command his agents concerning you. And you won't hit the bottom. And Jesus said, it also says in scripture not to put the Lord your God to the test. And he tempted him a third time. He took him to, to the highest peak he could find. And he said, you see all these kingdoms around, all you have to do is bow down and worship and serve me, and I will give this all to you. And Jesus said, no. In God's word, it says that you should worship and serve the Lord, your God, and nobody else. And then Satan put his temptation. Three times he was tempted. Where did he go all three times for response? He went to God's word. God's word guided Jesus in times of temptation. If Jesus needed God's word in times of temptation, how much more do we need it? When you're faced with temptation, God's word strengthens us because it guides us. When you find yourself being tempted by sin, ask yourself, where can God's word guide me in this situation? Where can God's word give me instruction? What, what scriptures can I draw on? Our temptation is to follow our thoughts and our feelings first. And let me tell you, your thoughts and your feelings will deceive you and they will betray you. Right? Bible says, in his heart there's a way that seems right to a man and it ends in destruction. You cannot just follow your heart and your feelings. Okay? You gotta listen to the great theologian Dwight Schrute. In the office, Michael had to make a very important decision. Do they buy a new printer? Or do they buy new chairs for everybody? And Michael was torn over this decision. And he brought his confidant, Dwight Schrute, into the office. And they mulled over all the options. And Michael finally just said, Dwight, I just need to follow my heart. And Dwight said to him, Michael, your heart is a beautiful thing, but it makes some terrible decisions. The Bible says your heart is a beautiful thing, but it makes terrible decisions because it's corrupted by sin. When you're faced with temptation, don't just follow your heart. Don't just follow your feelings. Follow God's word. His promises are good. His word is good. 
His way is good. It will bring life. And when you're caught in temptation, follow his word and don't get too focused on the past and don't get too focused on the present or the future. Follow him right there in that moment. Jesus, I think, says to take up your cross daily because he wants you to think about the day-to-day, moment-by-moment obedience to the Lord. He wants you to worry about making the next right decision. There's a great uh, scene in Frozen 2. Frozen 2 is a really good movie. Frozen 1 is a good movie. But in Frozen 2, Anna loses Elsa and Olaf, and she gets lost in a cave. She's surrounded by darkness. She's alone. She has no clue how she's going to get out. She's lost all hope. But something gave her the strength to rise from the floor of that cave and walk out. What was it? You guys remember the song? What would she sing? Just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. Let me tell you, you are going to get caught in situations where you make mistakes. I was a high schooler once, 20-something years ago. I have been where you've been. You will make poor decisions. When you realize it, just do the next right thing. Make the right phone call. Talk to the right friend. Follow the word for the, the, the right scripture. Just do the next right thing. And God's word will guide you in times of temptation. So we see that uh, obeying the word of God strengthens us because it guides us in times of suffering. It guides us in times of temptation. And it frees us from the weight of sin. Look at Psalm 32, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 32. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whom there is no spirit of deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the summer heat. Notice the contrast that David gives here between the man who confesses his sin and finds forgiveness and the man who hides his sin. The man who lives in deceit, right? The one who's forgiven is blessed and happy because his sins are covered and they are not counted against him. But the deceitful man wastes away. He groans because God's hand is heavy upon him. Sin brings weariness. Sin will cause you to faint and fall and stumble in your walk. Hebrews 12 describes sin that says, disobedience to God's law is a weight that hinders us from running the race that God has set before us. It says it's a weight that entangles us. You know what it's like to run with a weight that entangles you? Anybody ever run with a weight vest on? It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know why people do it. Back in the when I was a kid, my mom had these exercise weights. They were like ankle weights. Those of you who were alive in the 80s will remember these, but it was like a weight that you could strap around your ankles. And when I was training for baseball, I thought, this looks like a good idea. I'm going to go around and put these ankle weights on, and I'm going to run. And I ran a little bit, yeah, and I started shaking my head. And I was like, no, why would you do this? This just makes running harder. So I took them off. The idea was that they would strengthen you and run faster, but 
I didn't give it that far. But here's the illustration. Sin weighs you down when you're running the race that the Lord has laid out for you. It's like those ankle weights. Life is hard enough and sin just makes it harder. So let me ask you, what sin has entangled your heart and is weighing you down? What sin is making your Christian life just that much harder? I know uh, I had lots of sins as a high school that weighed me down. Uh, and there was lots of times when I disobeyed God's word. But I'll tell you, the one that weighed me down the most was lying. The one that weighed me down the most was lying. Was living a double life. Was being one person of my parents, being a good student, being a good, awesome kid, being on the honor roll, being that way, and then being another way behind my parents' back. By going out on the weekend and telling them one story and doing something completely different. Now, I know what you're thinking, oh, you know, we're, we're Christians, we're leaders, we go to youth group, we go to church, that's not going to happen to us. Let me tell you, without feel, fail, every year in campus ministry, I would have a Christian leader like you that would come to me and confess sins for the first time that they'd never told anybody. That had been weighing them down their entire lives. Lying and hiding and covering your sin will weigh you down. And you won't be able to escape it. You won't be able to leave it. Going to college won't make it better. Scrubbing your Instagram account won't make it better. Changing your friend group won't make it better. It might help, but it is not going to alleviate things. The Avent Brothers said well in, in one of their songs. It's called The Weight of Lies. Listen to this, these lyrics. The weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town. Because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. When you run, make sure you run to something and not away, and not away from, because lies don't need an airplane to chase you anywhere. Lies don't need an airplane to chase you to college. You'll take it with you. Whatever you're lying and hiding and covering, bring it to the Lord. Confess it. Find forgiveness. Find a mentor a pastor, a friend, to confess your sins and find forgiveness. That's what, that's what uh, David tells us in Psalm 32. Look at verse, verse 5. David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When you confess your sins, when you bring it to the Lord, when you receive his forgiveness, the weights are going to be thrown off. Your conscience is going to be clear. You are going to be able to fly like an eagle. You're going to be able to run like a sprinter. You're going to be able to walk like someone who is strengthened in the grace of the Lord. Because the sin that so easily entangles you has been removed. Obedience to God's word it guides us in times of suffering. It guides us in times of temptation. And it frees us from the sin that so easily entangles us. But here's the best news of this Bible. Is that your obedience to God's word will not save you. God's word, God's law is a good guide. 
but it also points out our sin. It also points out our need for a Savior. The obedience that will save you is Jesus' obedience. He was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. He experienced the, the most gruesome suffering in the history of the world. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he prayed three times. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours. God is calling you to say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And that is a good thing. But you will fail. But Jesus didn't. He was obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Every single moment of his life, he submitted to the Lord perfectly and completely all the way to the point of death. And on that cross, he won. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated death. His perfect obedience was given for our disobedience. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might receive the righteousness of God. He won so that you could have the victory. A few years ago, I was watching, I was on Facebook, probably procrastinating. What else are you on Facebook? I was on Facebook procrastinating, and I saw a video of a rugby championship, okay? And the video showed this huge, massive, hulking rugby star who had just won this championship, and he'd been given the victor's medal. And he was running around the field celebrating his championship when all of a sudden this teenager came out of the crowd to give him a hug. And as that teenager was running up, you see like the security guards coming to stop the kid like they were about to come and tackle him. And the rugby star puts his hand back and he doesn't let the security guards get to him. He takes the kid, he brings him in, he gives him a hug, he talks to him. They throw their arms up, they celebrate. He, he brings the kid over to the sidelines. There's his, the kid's family there, he's talking, he's joking with the family, he's joking with the kid. And then the rugby player, player takes off his medal, puts it around the kid, puts it back in the stand with his parents, runs off with his hand in the air. That kid didn't do a thing, but he got the victory because the rugby player gave him his medal. When you come to Jesus in faith, humbly, and you say, Lord, please forgive me. I have disobeyed. I have failed. I have suffered and I have questioned you. I have disobeyed your word. I have lied a thousand times. Will you please forgive me? Jesus takes off the medal that he earned and he puts it around you. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you his glory. He fills you with his spirit. You won because Jesus won. His righteousness is yours. Let that free you. Let that encourage you. You get to go out and run the race. You get, to, you get to fight the fight. You get to do the competition. You get to play the game knowing that you've already won. It frees you and empowers you by God's spirit to obey his word because you know that everything you have, you have in Christ. It's all his. The everlasting God gives you the gift of endurance by his grace. It comes to the personal work of Jesus. Let's receive it together. Father in heaven, we come to you tonight as sinners and sufferers who have questioned your goodness, who have not trained for suffering as we ought. 
We come as sinners and sufferers who have rejected your word, who have, who have tried to obey you but have failed. And we come as people who have lied and have hidden our sins, and they are weighing us down. Father, we pray that you forgive us. We pray that you would give us the righteousness of Jesus. We pray that his victory would be ours. We pray that his spirit would be ours. And we pray that that spirit would enliven us and empower us to be strengthened through your word, to follow you in times of suffering. To believe the gospel in times of sin. And to celebrate and rejoice the victories we won. God, I pray this would free us and would strengthen us to run the race that you have laid out for us and to claim the crown of life that Jesus has won. We pray this in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.